Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're back in Ireland. We're going down to County Cork to be joined by Connor Lydon, the founder and CEO of Trust App. Connor, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Delighted to have you. We were chatting off air. One of the three, if we focus on three areas on this podcast, any loyal listeners will know I'm about to say the three areas are early influences, challenges, and pivotal moments. No different with you. Let's go right back to the beginning. I believe you are on a, I've already alluded to the fact you're from Cork. I believe you're from a village just south of the city. Any favorite memories from your childhood or standout memories while growing up in Cork? Um, well, I actually, I actually was born, uh, I was born in, in Cork, but grew up for the first couple of years in Clannacilty, which would be in West Cork. Um, and my parents had a dental uh, surgery down there. So uh, we moved to Carrigline then when I was probably about four or five years old. Um, so yeah, I like went to school in Carrigline. All my friends would be from Carrigline. Um, and I spent my summers in West Cork then as well, in, in Baltimore. Um, so my probably fondest memories would be down there. Um, or else uh, kind of playing sport growing up was sport mad play probably eight or ten different sports uh, every year until I was about 14 or 15 so um, that would be they'd be the, the main ones I'd say so you, what's your favorite sport at the moment uh, I'd say my, the golf really at the moment would be the main one uh, I've, I kind of hung up the boots and most of the other kind of field sports and stuff so it's it'd be primarily golf yeah Nice. A typical audience for this is entrepreneurs, CEOs, founders of small to medium-sized companies across the UK and Ireland, with uh, the US listening as well. Um, If anyone who's never been to Cork before was to spend that afternoon or a day there, what one thing would you recommend they visit? Well, Cork's Cork's actually like a pretty interesting city. You know, it's uh, for those that don't know, it'd be Ireland's second city. Um, and it's growing as well. So there's lots of kind of multinationals relocating there. Got a bit, bit of uh, work going on where offices and apartments are being built at the moment. But really, if you're uh, kind of like I am in, in, in your 20s and you're, um, you're looking to spend an evening, I'd say yeah, some of, the, some of the, the bars or some of the pubs are, are really, really good. Um, and there's a great atmosphere in the place at the weekends. So um, for the kind of social side, I'd say that. And then if you were... Uh, wanted to be a bit touristy and, and see kind of a few few sites, I'd say travel down the, the wild Atlantic way and hit up some of those spots in West Cork. They're, they're unreal and they, yeah, you wouldn't be let down down there either. From someone who's done his leaving cert um, around the same year as you did, uh, I agree, great answer. Uh, I'm from just on the border of Mead and Dublin. I'm actually in County Mead. Um, Hope you don't want to hang up. Um, I'm actually not a Meath or Dublin supporter. I'm a Kilkenny supporter. All my family are from Kilkenny. So uh, I, I support the Black and Amber. I've been season ticket holder for over a decade now. Haven't missed the game. Yeah. Um, ooh, sticking with your childhood, uh, who do you think inspired you the most or had the biggest impact on you growing up? I know that both your parents worked for themselves, which, yeah. which would have been uh, cool growing up to see that and to see or to grow up around that. Yeah, that'd be they'd, they'd have to be the main ones. Obviously, you're exposed to that when you're younger. Um, 
to be honest, I never really considered like the whole entrepreneurial route as a viable career option until maybe about two weeks before I started or two weeks into even the, the kind of incubator program that I went on to. I didn't, I didn't really, I was kind of just going with the flow. I, I was always very, uh, I suppose my decisions would always be based on what gave me the most options always. I never really wanted to commit to anything. So I was doing this to kind of get a bit of experience initially. And like, I knew I had an idea, but I, I wasn't say fully set on doing that. And um, like, and even, you know, when I was picking my even start subjects, I had, uh, I'm sure I'd med down first. I did the H path, like actually got a good result in the H path, just missed out on the points. I think I had engineering second and something like Chinese and commerce third. So I was all over the place. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and I, yeah, I was, I'd say that was kind of a common theme growing up. I never, I was never one of those people that said, oh, I want to be, uh, you know, an astronaut or <laughs> anything like that. I never had a, a very clear picture. Um, definitely could see the benefits as you said of my parents having their own business working for themselves uh could see both sides of it what was it that influenced you to stick down you said med engineering chinese and commerce um because they're all three different kind of things and there's something must have influenced you or was it just that you you enjoyed them and were good at them um I think I did. So for, it was kind of different reasons for all of them. So I put med down first because it was the highest points and I kind of felt if I, did, if I got that, I might as well go for that. Uh, did quite well in the H pat and felt like I'll put it down on the, on the CAO. Engineering then, I, I was good at maths and physics or I liked it anyway. Um, and uh, I said, you know, that's probably a good broad degree as well. So that was, uh, that was down second. And then, yeah, the commerce, like the languages were something that, so I went to Guelsville growing up so again, like everything being taught through Irish, I found picking up the languages quite easy. Uh, so French and, and um, you know, the, any other language in school would have, would have come naturally enough as well. It wouldn't have been very difficult and did quite well in those subjects. So I so said, I might as well try and pick up another one that might be useful in business and stuff. And everyone was talking about Chinese and how uh, that would be a useful one going forward. So that, that was literally the logic behind it. I wouldn't say I spent too long thinking about it, to be honest. Um, I was aware that like, you know, your career choice wasn't necessarily going to be defined by what you put on your CEO anyway. I knew that you could kind of change and I was pretty relaxed about it. So, yeah, well, whatever I, what I did in college is nothing like I do today. Um, <laughs> a couple of things I know about you before we jump in, uh, coach at the Newport Yacht Club. Yeah. You've already mentioned you're into golf. I know you're into football as well. Uh, you've been to the States, Spain. Uh, what's one thing you're into or curious about that not a lot of people would know about you? Um, that's a very good question. Uh, I think I, uh, at the moment, um, you know, like I, I always listen to podcasts about, uh, or would regularly listen to podcasts about around kind of, you know, business people, CEOs, things like that. And they, they'd always, uh, say how, you know, they like reading books and kind of topical books around what they're doing management uh strategy books things like that and i wouldn't i wouldn't really be like that at all i, I kind of um i like i i'd be more inclined to talk to people and get get a few tips here and there i've never been a big one for for sitting down and reading a book cover to cover uh you know well definitely not a not a management one anyway but it'd be more likely to do it for fiction so i think um for me uh i'd be i'd be much more if on a weekend or something i try and i try and avoid anything like that which would be very different i think from talking to my peers um i'd be much more inclined to you know 
watch a watch a movie uh watch a, a series kind of a uh, couple of episodes a day that kind of thing which uh, i know is probably not the norm I've, I've been in your shoes before um i downloaded an app called blinkist which essentially condenses these kind of books into 15 minute podcasts and gives you the core elements of like the book and the takeaway so that you can come away because if you think of it most books that i'm looking at here i could tell you what the concept of the book is or the idea of what the message is in less than like three or four minutes yeah. um might be worth checking out if if you ever yeah, you get on board a plane or something but definitely worth the blinkest is the app um you were part of an incubation program called ignite you've you've touched on it for a second uh i know that now that you're the founder and ceo of trust app did any did any lessons did you learn any lessons from that incubation program what did it teach you yeah, like, well, as I was kind of saying earlier, I went in there not really even knowing what entrepreneurship was. And that's not, I'm not just mm-hmm. saying that, like, that's not an exaggeration. I genuinely didn't really know. I kind of took a punt on it and I wasn't really sure what was involved. Didn't really even know what the kind of schedule for the program was going to be starting off. Um, as you mentioned there earlier, I was in America that summer and I had, again, was didn't really want to, I had finished my four years of engineering, didn't really know what I wanted to do there. So I said, I'd go on a grad program with Accenture. I applied for a couple of grad programs, got on one, a management consulting one with Accenture. And I said, okay, I have that. And then I had heard about Ignite. So I put an application in there with this idea and I was weighing up the two options and I kind of felt, or I'll give the, the Ignite one a bash. It's kind of a bit different. And I didn't really know anything about it when I started. And then, and then when I did get going, it was like, Pretty much everything that I I learned was was there. Uh, I would say, like to start with, anyway, uh, it was a purely kind of a structured process around starting a business and doing things the right way, meeting people. Um, best thing about it was that there was nine other businesses in there at the same time, so people at the same uh, stage of the journey, and you're kind of learning a lot from them. Um, and you're yeah, you just you weren't on your own, which is the main thing because like uh, you know. You talk to people who don't utilize a program like that and they try and do it and it's very difficult you're you know you might be locked up in your bedroom uh and you're you're it's a you can be this there's i wouldn't say dark times but there's certainly times when you think you know this silly like it's not going to work or whatever and it's nice to have a a group of uh people in a similar situation around you when when those times do come along this is probably episode number i don't know 88 89 of the podcast i've done this year and uh, a roller coaster of emotions is how many people describe entrepreneurship. Uh, fear, uh, doubt, worry, something that comes up on a daily or weekly basis for most. How do you manage fear, doubt, or worry? Um, I'd say one of like my biggest assets is probably that I don't I'd be quite level, like I don't really get like majorly upset if something bad happens or majorly excited if something good happens either, which you know, I know it is important to celebrate the good things, but I I've find it difficult sometimes because I'm kind of thinking, you know, there's, there's more to do or whatever. And like that, that, that definitely helps just having that mindset. And because it can be a roller coaster of emotions. And I think I actually, I went to a talk before someone described it as when you're, when you're starting the business, uh, it's, you sleep like a baby because you wake up every four hours crying. And there is a, there's an element of that to it. I think that the, you know, if you can manage like, and that's a skill in itself, if you can kind of, train yourself to not get too upset and not get too excited, uh, you'll probably have a better stamina for it long-term uh, because you get like, otherwise you could be, 
dancing around the room and crying four times a day and that's not that's not sustainable so yeah uh, i think that's that would be the main thing touched on that you went to a Gwale school one of my regrets is not learning irish properly my girlfriend uh first learned irish then learned english and when we're abroad if she wants to say something to me she'll speak in irish and i won't have a clue what she's saying um but my question is not that it is if you could add any subject mandatory to the leaving certificate a levels if you're listening from the uk that everyone had to study what would it be might be a bit biased but i think uh if you look at the business world anyway i think communication is one of the key things so i know english is kind of mandatory mandatory anyway but um I I also think so that aside, like communication being one of the most mm-hmm. important things, I think an unbelievable asset to have is to be competent with numbers. And I'm not talking about doing like honors level, you know, maths and getting an A and you're leaving start. I just mean like basic things. And I I think like so much of life's kind of struggles or the pressure uh, is around money and uh, you know understanding you know simple things like interest, taxation, things like that. Um, and I just think, you know, if you have a basic grasp of numbers, even like, you know, it, it might sound mad to me or you to say, but things like, you know, percentages, uh, you know, things like that, that actually a lot of generally a lot of people would struggle with. I think that is a, such a key skill everywhere uh, in life. So that would be that would be the one for me. This is my fifth podcast to record today. <clears throat> and all five people have said something around finance. So there's something to that. Um before we get into any of these questions that I have around cookbooks and et cetera, you'll need to explain to people what Trust App is. So they could take 30, 45 seconds to explain what the business is. Hmm. So what Trust App is basically is it's a transaction platform. So it's designed for people who are buying or selling online um, with untrusted parties, basically. So people they don't know, businesses they don't know. And the general concept is that it's, it's like escrow where the funds are held by us as a third party. But then we also manage the rest of the transaction. So, um, you know, if it's an item being delivered, we'll track it and make sure it arrives and we'll manage the full transaction from end to end um, so that, you know, you, you don't have to place your trust in some someone or some business that you don't know. Um, we have a, a standalone platform, but we also partner with marketplaces where those transactions happen. So, um, you know, the, the classic example would be the likes of a Craigslist type marketplace that would be familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, Generally, a seller would place an ad there and a buyer would respond to it privately and they'd arrange where to meet. But we have a product basically where they can both use Trust App for the transaction and kind of ensure that it happens safely, efficiently, fairly. And that's the that's the general gist. I was surprised of, of how popular this concept idea is. Uh, I first came across it in boxing when a lot of the big boxers will use escrow accounts to put their money in. And yeah. when all conditions are met, they'll, they'll pay out. So with that being said, uh, I want to ask you a question about a cookbook. It's not a recipe book to cook a cake or something. It's a, it's basically just a list of things. I've got a laminated one in front of me that you've got to do daily to keep your pipeline healthy. So a uh, number of networking events, outreach calls, referrals, yada, 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 yada. What would your daily or weekly cookbook look like so that you can continue to take trust up in the direction you want to take it in? Well, early on, I would have said a lot of the the time I spent uh, on the business would have been kind of sales orientated stuff. Um, nowadays, it's a little bit different because we have people, you know, and that's the, that's their main role. So I would say for me, uh, the main the main thing is kind of 
communication and then obviously uh the kind of stage we're at now is fundraising as well which is like a you know almost like a full-time job but communication but what i mean by that is with kind of like all of the um team leads or the you know the employees in the business and it's kind of making sure that i'm uh that everything is running as smoothly as possible um, and that you know if anyone needs anything that you know i can make i can get them you know whatever they need whatever tools resources that they need um and then it's reporting uh to whether it's investors or the board or whatever um but from the fundraising perspective i'd say uh yeah you're just constantly in fundraising mode i think that it's uh you can even if you just close around you're you're looking at the next one and you you've you've a fairly accurate hopefully set of projections that you're working off and you know exactly how much you'll need to get in or, or you know different models based on how well the business is doing um, and so that is an ever-evolving thing when you're at the start it's with kind of you know maybe smaller kind of angel investors or smaller groups of syndicates and then you move on to kind of vcs and larger vcs and that's a you know there's a lot in that there's you know preparing data rooms and getting getting all the information they need it's almost like a sales pipeline in a way you've different um investors different vcs at different stages that require different information that require different levels of communication you know, everything's done virtually at the moment so it's all it's all zoom calls and google meets and microsoft teams pretty much all day um you know keeping that moving along another thing i noticed is you put up on linkedin recently i can't remember it was a week or a month ago but uh, that you're hiring um, yeah. study done by Harvard Business Review that says that the annual cost or sorry the cost of a bad hire is five times the first year's salary mm. um, so how do you do you partner with recruiters do you use psychometric testing do you go off good feel how do you make sure that you limit your chances of getting a bad hire I think it's easier in some roles than others. There's some roles where, uh, for want of a better word, you wouldn't be able to spoof like the interview process. So for some of the more practical like roles, like uh, software development, uh, anything like that, you can have kind of like a culture fit interview first, so you know that they're you know you'll be able to get on with them, that they're the right person, mm. and then it's a it's essentially a test. So they're they're literally soft they're coding in front of you. And you know straight away if they're at the right level or not. It's very difficult to to kind of bluff your way out of that when you don't know what you're going to be doing in advance of this year. You're not necessarily looking for them to complete it exactly the way you want to, but it's the process they follow. It's the um, yeah, it's the methodology. So that one I like would never be worried about getting the the wrong person skills wise. You can potentially get the culture fit wrong over time. Uh, you know if they if they aren't if they don't get on with everyone after a certain period of time but that's less of a risk um, and then for the other roles like sales and stuff it's incredibly difficult because any good salesperson would be able to sell themselves quite well in an interview so you know you need to um use different uh different metrics different ways of kind of making that decision um but ultimately it's really difficult so what you want to do uh, for any startup really is to have you know pretty solid hr processes in place and with any when any early kind of hire like that you'll have the probationary period and you just have to act fast you know if it's not the right fit you're going to have to make that decision quickly if it's longer than there and if they, they pass that probationary period then you have then you'll have problems um, i'm not surprised by that stat i think 
Um, yeah, it's certainly like it's the time that wastes more than anything, um, mm -hmm. and that's and time is money basically. So uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely can see how that could be the case. Yeah, specifically with salespeople, it could be deals not won as well that could add up to a, a lot of money. Sure. Uh, whereas if you would otherwise hired a better salesperson, um, there's a book to my side, and it's around these. 13 blind spots that can hold back an otherwise healthy business. Things like hiring, lead generation, so on, so on, so on. Um, what's one blind spot that you've witnessed over the last four or five years that you think holds back uh, some businesses from getting to where they truly could be? And if they got their shit together in that one area, they'd be a much better performing business. Yeah, I think I actually think, um, like, without sounding too uh, cliche or whatever, like, it actually is like a proper method of communication and having like uh, processes and systems where two teams can work together efficiently. So, if you take a product team that will feed into like the backlog of tech tasks that the development team have to do having a really efficient way that those two teams speak to each other um, can save two months in a, in a calendar year in terms of stuff being built, which is obviously a, a lot. Um, and, you know, stuff can, and, and having that feedback loop really efficient and quick and, uh, you know, not, not wasting time. And in some ways, actually, remotely, that, that, that almost works a bit easier. You can kind of work off a very clear schedule in the calendar as calls are happening at this time every week regardless. So, you know, it's it's that constant feedback loop iterating on, on whatever is being, is being made. Um, I think it's it's massively kind of undervalued, I would say. Like, I don't, I don't really, you know, I'm not, I'm not in other businesses very often or, or kind of can see what they're doing. But I know that ever since that we got, we got more of a process around that and more kind of efficient at that whole thing, we've, our productivity has kind of skyrocketed. So I think, you know, there must be there must be something in that for other people too. Like you might think you have a few systems in place, but the amount of uh, time lost is is quite big when you're waiting when you're waiting for someone to do something else before you can do the next thing. You're trying to avoid that as much as possible. I'm chatting to you for the last twenty five minutes or so. I'd hazard a guess that if you were ever to come out with a book, it would be on the subject of communication. Um, yeah. What's your go on? Yeah, I was gonna say like I. I think it's kind of one of those things that everybody thinks that they, they do properly, but until you then do it properly, you know that you, what you were doing probably wasn't the sufficient, you know? Like, I think, uh, again, I would say, I kind of mentioned it when you're, when you're talking about the certain subjects or whatever, the amount of people that you encounter who, you know, can't communicate properly, don't write emails properly, don't, uh, you know, aren't organized, but responding, forget to, forget to do certain things. It's, it's mad and like it's such a simple thing but it's so fundamental in my in my opinion yeah yeah it's shocking what's your favorite aspect of leading the company um i think i like the i like the responsibility um but also i like the you know for me i would have always probably struggled to go into the company uh at the very bottom and, and not not that I'd struggle to work my way up but I wouldn't like having not really affecting the outcome of what I'm doing I find it difficult to motivate myself I think my favorite thing about 
leading the businesses that I, I don't struggle with motivation at all because, you know, I, it's going to benefit me anyway, uh, how, how it does. And I find it very, very, I never struggle to get out of bed in the morning, get up early and, and go to work. And that's probably the, the biggest thing. Two final questions for you. Your loved ones are all safe, but your house is burning down. What one item would you save if you could only save one item? Ooh, it's a very good question. Um, so no pets or, or anything like that. That's what they're all safe. Well, if, if you love your pet, then it's safe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, oof. Uh, well, I suppose where, where I'm at now, like my day consists of uh, my laptop, uh, and my and then in my spare time at the weekends my golf clubs probably so it's a very boring answer but that's probably it fair enough most people choose their laptop um so the fact you've chosen your golf clubs is somewhat different than most people i'd like you to imagine we're now talking as if it's the year 2030 so right now it's 2030 uh, and you're looking back on the last decade you can answer this personally professionally or a combination of both but what would you like to be looking back on if we're imagining now is 2030 um growth to be the biggest one so i think you know uh professionally i think you know i'll know in 2030 which is you know i'll know i'll know that the if it's if it's worked or not definitely at that stage and i think mm-hmm. you know you know, we have plans and if we can hit our milestones like that would be that's the number one kind of target for us you know i don't have major plans around acquisition or anything like that it's to hit those kind of growth metrics and if we do that then everything else will fall into place i think and um, so that'd be the one thing and then personally yeah, i'd like to you know have a house bought at that point uh, and be comfortable settled and um, that that they'd be the two Connor, I wish you nothing but the best and I hope you achieve those those goals within the next decade. But for being my guest today, thank you very much. Thanks, Rian. Really appreciate it.